0: is Sunday, October the 15th, the day after the election. I'm wandering around in my backyard in Waiheke, if only so I can hear the twoies waking up, but also to have a think about what's going on in the last day or so, what it means and what might happen next. I went to bed about 8.30 because we get up quite early these days and by then it was clear that there would be a change of government and I prefer to have a bit of a sleep rather than see the details but I've had a look at the details now of uh, the 100% of the votes counted so far and remember there's about 540,000 special votes that still need to be counted most of those actually come from New Zealand they're not necessarily overseas votes And the history has been that once the special votes are counted, the Labour and Green side of things usually gets one or two seats. Now, we don't know whether that's the case this time, but certainly that's relevant. Also, there's quite a few electorates where it's not sure who's exactly going to win. They're within a couple of hundred votes of a decision. Now, why is this all important? Well, we know that the Party Maori have won four seats. Now that's slightly more proportionally than their proportion of the party votes. Now that means there might be an overhang. So the end result of all this is that National and ACT have 61 seats, which would be just enough to govern in a 120-seat parliament. However, we also know that there is going to be a by-election in the Port Waikato election because of the death of Neil Christensen, the ACT candidate, a week or so before the election. And the rules state that regardless of what happens in the election, there will be a by-election. And that's going to be on November the 25th. And that's likely to go to national That effectively gives National a freebie electorate. So that's on the other side of the equation. So the end result is we don't actually know exactly who has won the election. We know that Labour has lost the election. That's pretty clear. National and Act, on the face of it, in a 120-seat parliament, could govern just with 61 seats. However, you'd have to think that they would like to have a bit more of a margin than that. And they'll also want to see what happens once the specials shake out and how we go with the various electorates and overhangs. Last night, Christopher Luxon said that he appreciated Winston Peters, saying he was willing to help. So you'd have to think there may well be... Uh, some negotiations at some point where Winston Peters and New Zealand First are a part of some sort of governing coalition or maybe arrangement with uh, National and ACT. Now, what does this all mean? And what are the sort of most notable things to come out of last night? Well, firstly, this really was a rejection of Labour. Barely 27% of the vote after the initial count. That's lower than most of the polls were saying and is a very, very bad result for Labor. A whole bunch of very senior MPs former Cabinet Ministers have lost their seats. So the likes of Kieran McEnulty, um, David Parker is going out as a List MP. Uh, you, you're going to see uh, um, a whole bunch of others leaving Parliament who were uh, relatively well-known and high-profile Labour MPs. The Greens had a better night. Uh, they actually won, <laughs> if you can put it, as three electorates, although it's not exactly clear whether Julian Genta has completely won Rongotai from Labour. But certainly Auckland Central close rubric and Wellington Central with Tamatha Paul, have uh, won those electorates. And the Greens got just over 10% of the vote. Uh, Te Pāti Māori was also a winner, winning four of its electorate seats. And there's still some debate about uh, what the final results in those seats will be and how much of an overhang is generated by Te Pāti Māori. But a good night for them. National was the real winner Overnight, uh, over 40, that's a surprisingly high number given what we know in the polls and shows that it's going to be a uh, national-led government in some form or another. Okay, what does that mean in terms of um, policies (laughs) and and outcomes? Well, uh, those who've been listening for a while will know I think this means that as we speak, at about ten past six on October the 15th, Sunday. The ground on which I'm walking just went up by 20%. The value of residential land goes up when you see an increase in demand for housing and a reduction in supply, or at least reduction in supply expectations. So we now know that foreign buyers if National get in, and New Zealand First allows it, would be able to buy property for more than $2 million. And for a bunch of properties in some areas that will drag up prices, particularly those close to the $2 million mark, if it gets through, you'd have to think that Winston Peters might try to stop that. Uh, Although make a huge song and dance about it beforehand and it may be one of those things that National feels they really need to get their tax cuts through. Although again, lots of debate about how much money might actually be raised out of that. And then when you look at the demand outlook from rental property investors, it's very clear there's going to be a repeal of Labor's interest deductibility rule and that will certainly... Uh, increased demand from rental property investors for uh, housing. On the supply front, we know that National has announced a review of Kainga Order, which is currently building 3,000 houses a year or so at the moment. It's only committed to the current year, current 3,000. And you'd have to think that there'll be a, a freeze on new developments, a freeze on new spending on infrastructure to councils and the likes, at least in the short term. And that will cause some slowdown in supply. We're already seeing it. A lot of the projects that we're getting up and running, particularly the medium density multiple unit projects, particularly in Auckland and in other places, uh, have been slowed down or stopped in recent months. That's because um, there's a lot of uncertainty around. A lot of the buyers, rental property investors, are wary, particularly with these high interest rates, and that will um, slow down supply coming into the market. Meanwhile, demand from the actual number of people coming into the country is very high. So we heard last week that 110,000 people net joined the the joined the population in the year to the end of. August, and uh, that's 110,000 people who will need to be housed somewhere, you'd have to hope. Now, we know that there's a housing shortage for uh, social housing, at least, around 80 to 90,000, if you take into account what uh, would have been built, built if we'd simply kept the social housing share at where it was in the early 90s. We also know that the population has dramatically increased, and uh, if it wasn't for some serious overcrowding in Auckland, uh, we would have um, a massive shortage of housing in Auckland, given that over time, typically the number of people per household falls. And then we've got to look at uh, what's happening with uh, demand for those people who also now expect the Brightline test to be wound back from 10 years to 2 years. So under New Zealand First, you'd have to think both of those changes would would go through. Uh, So there we go, 20% increase in residential land prices this morning, I think. We'll see what happens. Now, if it's a very clear result, National Act win, they have a margin to govern, and or New Zealand First comes on in a very limited way and you see the um, fairly immediate repeal of the interest deductibility and bright line changes and a freeze on new development, you'd have to think there's going to be a bit of a boom in the economy because remember it's the housing market with bits pits tacked on and when you see an increase in the volume of sales going through, and at prices that people obviously like. Because what we've seen in the last year or so is a bit of a seller strike. So sellers saw prices go down. They're not pressure to appreciate sell. They put their house on the market thinking, I'll check it out. Nothing happened. They took it off the market. And they, they're saying to themselves, I'll wait until things are perky again. And I'll put it back on and move on with my life. And when we see the number of sales increase and the value of those sales increase, That does two things. Firstly, it increases the number of movements of households from one house to the next. So household formation and reformation. So when you move house, as I'm learning at the moment, uh, you tend to buy stuff, curtains and couches, and uh, you spend money. And uh, often when you move, particularly for those people who've owned properties before and are buying new properties, you you have a liquidity moment when you free up some of the equity that you you had. And uh, all of those movements, people jumping from one house to the next, people jumping into new houses, there will be some 1st home buyers, then you see plenty of activity. Secondly, for those people who aren't moving and they see, let's say, a 20% rise in their underlying House value, over a couple of months, they can feel the, the heat in the market around them, the houses going quickly, The open homes filled up, people feel richer and they start to spend more. And of course, this selection result is something a lot of people the small businesses, uh, a lot of homeowners have wanted, and they'll feel that all is right with the world again. And you'd have to think there'll be a perk up of spending. Now the question is, and I think this will be something to watch in the next six weeks or so, if we do see the housing market take off again, the Reserve Bank, who currently are on hold at 5.5%, will have to look at this and go, hmm, is this going to be inflationary? Is this going to derail our plans to get inflation down to 2% within a couple of years? And if they decide yes, then that could be entertaining. Uh, in a uh, certainly in relations between National and the Reserve Bank, uh, we've heard from Nicola Willis, the likely finance minister, that she has said she will be professional and that um, her previous criticisms of the current governor are uh, not relevant. We'll see behind the scenes, there's been plenty of people in and around National saying they would get rid of Adrian Orr. not sure how you do that with the current Reserve Bank Act, but that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Secondly, um, we're likely to have some sort of mini-budget, probably December, early December or so, and that's when the job cuts will happen. We'll hear a lot more about what's happening with the economy, perhaps some of the detail on the tax cuts. Obviously, by then, there'll be an agreement probably with New Zealand First, and some some of the unknown details about the size of the tax cuts and how they're going to be paid for will will be there in more detail. So by mid-December, we shouldn't have a clear idea of A, who's in government, B, what happened to the housing market, C, what the Reserve Bank is doing, and D, what the government itself is forecasting with taxation and spending. And then we can all go off to Christmas and the summer uh, with a bit more certainty. Now, those are the very short term sort of what it means and what happens next. But what has actually just gone on and what is the long term meaning of all this? What we've seen is a reassertion of the gerontocracy of landowners in Aotearoa. They have said, we want to be in control again. We want to know there is nothing that will endanger the value of our residential land. We want it to keep going up. We think this is the right way for the economy to work. And um, we'll vote out someone who messes with that. Now they can do that at the moment because there are more old people who vote who own land than there are young people who rent who vote. That's not the same as saying there are more old people who own land than young people who rent. We think around about three or four hundred thousand people who rent and are young, eighteen to forty-nine. Did not vote. That is uh, a tragedy apart from anything else. But also that's why the balance of power remains with older landowners who voted for National Act and New Zealand First. There's also quite a bit of a wasted vote. So the things I haven't really talked about are the three or four percentage points worth of uh, what I'll call in a rude way. The cooker vote, um, it's gone. Many of those parties will dry up and go away. Uh, And then there's the 2% of vote that was wasted on top. Uh, You may not have enjoyed that word, but it's true. And uh, um, that's because Raf Manji's candidacy for ILAM failed. And uh, there was no clear pathway to Parliament with a vote of 2%. Now, you could argue Top didn't know that at the start, but a lot of the people who could have voted Top decided to go ahead and place their vote at the top, even knowing, or maybe suspecting, that RAF wouldn't win Ireland. The arguments there are around strategy and execution, and really it's about whether Top was able to convince either National or Labour to step back in Ireland and let RAF win. Clearly National didn't, uh, because National won, uh, and Labour didn't. Um, Now, if Labour had, that might have created a difference, Uh, but Labour decided not to. Uh, We'll see how that works out. I suspect the Opportunities Party will now struggle to survive. Uh, Now, moving ahead to what it all means in terms of the future, uh, we now have three years, at least, of the gerontocracy back in charge, and we'll see what happens to land prices, we'll see what happens to the operation of the welfare system, And we'll see what happens to migration, both inwards and outwards, and also uh, what happens to living costs. I think rents rise very sharply and uh, house prices rise very sharply in a way that a lot of people aren't happy with. And also we see continued growing stress, rental stress for those people in the bottom 25%. And a new sense of despair for those people who are thinking they'd quite like to own a home and start a family here. So the number of New Zealanders leaving to go overseas grows. And uh, to keep things moving, uh, you see an increase in the number of temporary workers coming in. That will be one of the results of a National Act government, although, to be fair, it was already happening strongly under a Labour government. And that's um, going to keep... Things bubbling along for a while until we have the sort of congestion, house costs, uh, all the other problems you have with a growing population without enough infrastructure to fund it. So, our fundamental problems in the economy and society haven't been solved. We haven't changed fundamentally the incentives that we have in our tax system to invest all of your spare money in residential property and none of your spare money in businesses because at the moment there is no incentive to put money into pension funds, tax incentive that is, and so we have a very low proportion of our savings in actual businesses. Because of our low tax rate and the focus on keeping the size of government less than 30% of GDP, we don't have enough money being invested in infrastructure, which would solve some of these housing and other infrastructure and productivity problems. So we go on with the current churn and burn housing market with bits tacked on economy for another three years. To change that, I think you'd have to see um, some changes within the Labour Party. This will be a real moment of truth for the Labour Party. Remember, it uh, went for three elections two thousand and. 11, 14, and 17, having a set of reasonably transformational, progressive policies. For whatever reason, uh, the main core of those policies weren't enacted in government, and both of their recent leaders said that they would not, while in power, do it. Chris Hipkins is likely to go as leader, and it's not clear to me who would take over, and whether Labour would change its view. Um, there would be some who argued, you know, we should never have even touched <laughs> capital gains tax or wealth tax. Uh, we shouldn't have even thought about it, and that might have saved us. There are others who would say, you know, you took the window out of our sails, when yet again, you pulled away from that, um, this is what we're about, and by not touching it, you have... Um, Uh, remove the energy in the party. Uh, The second thing is, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people in the Green Movement who'd say, right, it's our turn to take over the left. And it'll be interesting to see whether there is an attempt to try to roll over the top of Labour. I'd be surprised if there was. There's some pretty strong relationships in the leadership with Labour. And A fundamental belief, I think, within some of the leadership of the Greens that being the biggest party is not something that's going to happen. Um, And that may be true. It's quite hard to change these things, some of these underlying structures. But parties do, sometimes do die and go away uh, and split up and eventually morph into something else. Uh, We sort of saw some of that in the mid-1990s with Labour, into early 1990s. Uh, Then it's all sort of consolidated back together again. But the shock of what's just happened may put Labour under pressure again. I think that gives you a sense of how I'm uh, seeing the world. It's a beautiful world where I am at the moment. I'm privileged and lucky but I know many people will wake up this morning not feeling that way and will feel less hope uh, about their own futures and the futures of the country. Apart from anything else, um, the planet won't care <laughs> what, what just happened in the election and will keep uh, grinding through or sprinting through into a higher uh, level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and warmth, um, and that will be a challenge for any government going on and any bunch of voters. How do we change our behaviour, stop burning fossil fuels and try to keep the warmth below or somewhere near 1.5 to 2 degrees? We already know that 1.5 degrees is damaging enough. Uh, If you want to sense, the shock that we had in February, late January, February, cost us $18.5 billion, up to $18.5 billion. Not accounted for, not prepared for. You have one or two of those every decade. That's going to be very painful for everyone. And uh, that will be something any new government has to think about. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was my Dawn Chorus on October the 15th. I hope you enjoyed some of the background noise.